This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. You're listening to episode 82, The Lies, of the In-Between Podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel M. And I'm Christina M. Well, today we're going to be talking about the lies that we believe about ourselves. Whoa! (laughs) Am I living a lie? Well, you know, we live in a day and age where fake news seems to be everywhere, right? I mean, I think it must have been like in some dictionary, the word of the year, last couple of years, because it is. I mean, it's half truths seem to be everywhere. Yes, and those seem to be the most dangerous, right? Because when you have some truth in it, then you're like, your brain kind of goes, yeah, 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 I get that. And sometimes we forget that maybe there's the other side of the coin that we're not realizing. So, for example, especially maybe in the last decade or so, even more of a rise of these ideas of how women should be. So it's not just you should be skinnier or whatever, all these things. It's, you know, ladies, if your life is busier or maybe if your life is less busy, Mm. maybe if you have more stuff or less stuff like this Marie Kondo thing that's coming up, maybe not just that you're skinnier. What if you're curvier? What if you're stronger? What if you have poutier lips or smaller hips? Then maybe, just maybe, you'll be happier. Mm. So those are the half-truths. Those are the lies that we are being fed. And the truth, I think, is a matter of fact that all of us want peace. Peace in our hearts, peace in our minds, peace with our bodies, and peace within and about ourselves. But... Do we actually really find peace in our waist size or how much stuff or how little we have? No. And there's that thing that guys deal with where it's it's a sense of, hey, if I don't have a stable job and I'm not providing well for my family, then I'm a failure as a husband and as a father. And, and yet, you know, it's true that we do need to be responsible, but work has changed. The way things are done is different now. And, and then there's also that question of how much is enough, right? I mean, we live in a day and age where everything is about more, 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 and more. So am I a failure if my kids aren't doing multiple extracurricular? activities? Am I a failure if I'm not taking them on ski trips or on trips around the world and getting that Instagram shot? Like, am I a failure if I'm not living up to someone else's standard or expectation? Am I a failure if I'm not meeting the snuff and and able to compare myself with others? No. I mean, there's, there's all of these ways that our culture tries to yell at us and say, you need to be this, you need to be that. And yeah, it's good to provide. Yes, we do need to be responsible, but if we're not careful, we can actually live our lives according to these have-truths and this fake news rather than the truth of, of what a meaningful family and what it looks like to be a responsible father and a husband. So maybe it's easy to point out some of these lies that, like you said, I love it what you're saying, Daniel, that are yelling at us. But what about the ones that are whispering to us? So maybe it's not the outright harmful, evil, or unjust lies, 
but maybe it's the ones that we are being lulled to sleep with. Exactly. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in this episode. We're going to be walking through two of the common lies that we believe about ourselves, and we're actually going to reframe them as half-truths. Right, Because oftentimes if we hear the lie as it is, it's going to be like, okay, yeah, it does kind of sound like a lie. I'm not really sure about that. But oftentimes we hear them as half-truths. We read about these lies in the magazines or, or on TV or on Netflix or wherever. Where it just kind of shouts at us subtly through the half-truth version of it. And that's why it's so seeped into our souls. Now, these two lies and the content of this episode is all from my upcoming book that releases on February 4th. The book is You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. You can learn more about that by going to our show notes, inbetween.org slash episode 82, or you can go directly to my site, danielim.com slash UR, and you can learn more about the pre-release offer that we have if you get the book before February 4th. Okay, let's get started with the first lie that we believe about ourselves, which is also the title of your book, You Are What You Do. So what's the half-truth behind this lie, Daniel? Because as an Enneagram 3, it's kind of... It's kind of sitting well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's sitting well in that we completely agree with it. Yeah. But underneath the surface, you're kind of like, oh, but am I what I do? Do I really want to be defined by that? Maybe if it's all the good stuff, not all the bad stuff, right? <laughs> Make me look good and I will just enjoy this. <laughs> yes. So the half truth behind this lie, you are what you do, is what you do for work affects how you see yourself. Okay, so it's interesting when you think about it as children, we're asked what we want to do when we grow up. As adults, we're asked what we do for work. And at the end of our lives, it seems like we're all measured by what we've done. It's everywhere, isn't it? This is the fabric of our culture. In fact, one of the largest online marketplaces for freelancers ran an ad campaign in New York subways recently. Okay, They plastered up headshots of individuals and actually printed excerpts from their interviews. They called this campaign the Year of Do, and the catchy tagline was Endures We Trust. So here's the excerpt from the ad that just sticks out to me most. You eat a coffee for lunch. You follow through on your follow through. Sleep deprivation is your drug of choice. You might be a doer. Apparently, doing has become a badge of honor. It's become a status symbol and it's become really the way that we all define ourselves. As you're talking about that and picturing this ad, I'm thinking, oh, actually, well, I don't want to be identified as that. That's not me. However, as I look deeper into my past, into things that I have dealt with, I don't know if y'all know this, but I actually burnt out twice mm. in my life. First is high school. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's right. I don't think you should be burning out in high school. But the second time I actually did that, I burnt out, was in university. And both times was because I was doing so much. I remember looking at my calendar and seeing like one square that's empty and almost hyperventilating, being like, oh no, I need to fill this space in with something or do something or see someone or achieve something or else I'm a failure. Yeah, it's subtle, isn't it? It's even the sense of you're waiting at the doctors. You're in that waiting room and, and what do you do? You just open up your phone, right? You just end up doing things. I mean, when's the last time you just kind of sat there 
and prayed or you and even praying is doing I guess, right, right? Yeah. or you just kind of sat there and looked around it's it's not normal because our culture says hey if you don't do something or if you have a empty block you're lazy you're worthless you're not important enough you're not oh you're not busy because really you don't have much significance it's so subtle isn't it so we just kind of busy ourselves for me, it was that time when we got that offer to to go and work in Korea. I mean, the, the church was like 50,000 people. It was huge. I mean, when's when does anyone get an opportunity to work at a church of 50,000 people? And I think I let that go to my head a little bit too much. And that, oh, look, look at how great I've done. Look at how important I am. Oh, look, I'm being pursued by this. And and I, I, I felt like it, it got way too much to my head. And I didn't realize how much I believed this lie that I was what I did until it all abruptly came to an end and we had to move back to Canada. And it was like, oh my goodness, who am I? I am so ashamed now. The thing that I was building my life upon is now completely gone. And I had no frame of reference as to 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 who I was and to where my importance came from. And, and God obviously taught me a lot through that experience. But it just goes to show you how easy it is to believe this lie that we are what we do. Well, when you say crashing down, Daniel, I think it's more than that. If you haven't listened to our episode beforehand about how we shared all of that, we'll link it into the show notes. But we actually came back with absolutely nothing. We yeah. had a five-month-old baby, mm-hmm. and we both worked for the church. So we both were jobless, completely unemployed, with no other leads. And we also were homeless. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So here's the thing about this lie. We tend to over-identify with our jobs and we tend to believe in this lie because we've been conditioned to do so from within and and without. Give you an example, to, to satisfy this internal craving that we have for meaning and this external drive that we have for a particular quality of life, we look for that perfect job, right? We look for that job that boosts our self-image. We, we look for that job that also pays the bills. And if the latter is lacking, so the job doesn't necessarily pay all the bills, no worries. That's why the gig economy exists, right? I mean, an extra gig here or a side hustle there never hurt anyone, right? What's the gig economy? Well, the gig economy is a relatively new term, and it encompasses people who are self-employed in either a part-time or a full-time capacity. And, and these are individuals who are getting paid for their time, skills, possessions, or expertise. Right. So, for example, you're a part of the gig economy if you've ever sold something on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> we just sold like a couch and a carpet. So yes. I'm part of the gig economy. Yeah, because I guess? because you sold something that it was it, it was self-employed work. Oh, OK. Yeah. So I was like basically my own boss yes exactly exactly that's definitely the catch-all if you've ever rented out your place on airbnb or or you've rode in an uber or or let's say you went and consigned clothes oh yeah i do that all the time yeah or you let's say mowed someone else's lawn or or did some (laughs) (laughs) you know it's this whole idea of you're not on someone else's clock you're on your own you're self-employed in that part-time or full-time capacity Well, is that not like the American dream? What's wrong with that? Yeah, no, there's not necessarily anything wrong with it per se. But the thing is, it's become the new normal. It's just, I mean, just here's an example. In 2019, 35% of the American workforce was a part of the gig economy. Okay, that's 
57 million Americans. Whoa, whoa. whoa. Yeah, that 57 sounds like million. A lot yeah, than 35%. Yeah, okay. I mean, to give you some perspective, that is more people than the entire populations of Canada, Liberia, Greece, and Puerto Rico combined. Oh, Canada. <laughs> You're so big and so yeah. tiny at the same time. <laughs> that's how many people, yeah, that's how many people were a part working in the gig economy. Okay. Now, the thing about the gig economy is you don't even need to be working in it for it to affect you. Because if you're funding the gig economy, like if you've paid to get your haircut or if you've paid to get your lawn mowed or if you've paid a babysitter or if you've rode in an Uber, you've actually funded the gig economy. And that's why it's become the new normal. It's just so changed and it's affected. Yeah, the fabric of everything. Okay, Daniel, so I understand that you're talking about how it is everywhere and how it's, I guess, changing uh, how we do work. Like, we are not doing the nine to five anymore. Mm -hmm. I still don't understand how this is, uh, like, connected to the lie of you are what you do. Yeah, well, it's because it never ends. It never ends. You could be working in the nine to five, but then doing some other things on the side makes you a part of the gig economy. Mm -hmm. And it's that notion or it's that pressure that we have to just keep on doing. Oh, okay. Well, I do remember this one time talking about giving to the gig economy that we were taking an Uber from our house in Nashville to the airport. So it's about 20 minute drive. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think, a Sunday afternoon. And our Uber driver was a father. And he was saying, oh, uh, you know, kids are so expensive. So I'm Ubering just today while they're home watching TV. Like he's like, I can't just stay home and watch TV. I have to I have to do something. Watching TV is wasting time. Yeah, exactly. But the thing with the gig economy and and why believing this lie that you are what you do, the reason it's so harmful is because there's no end to a life of doing. It's pretty much impossible to do enough. I mean, even when you feel like you've accomplished all that you set out your heart to do and, and this guy has finally made enough money to help his kids go to college, there's still going to be more. And then you're going to inevitably come across someone who has done more than you. So then what? Do you just pick up another gig here or another side hustle there? And then for how long, right? How long until you eventually look like that miserable, scattered, dehydrated, emotionless woman on the poster I was referring to earlier? Right. I mean, I don't know. That seems a little bit extreme, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're like, let's take that Uber driver, for example, like if he's doing it, you know, two times or just even on the on the weekend, is he really going to become that dehydrated woman in the subway that you were talking about? Maybe not initially, but what happens is doing leads to more doing. It leads to more doing and it leads to getting more and having more. And it's this cycle that we have. And the thing that drives this cycle is the illusion of control that the gig economy gives us. Oh. So this idea that you are what you do, this lie that we believe about ourselves, at the root of this lie and actually at the root of all the lies that I talk about in this book is control, the illusion of control. So here's what the gig economy says. You have unlimited earning potential. So if you want to go on a trip, just gig for a few hours. Want that new outfit? Just sell a few things. Want the latest phone? Hustle for it. I mean, after all, everyone has free time that they waste. So just use that time effectively, efficiently, and earn some extra cash. Be productive. You're in control. So just make it happen. Rise and grind and get it done. You see how that lie, how how it works and how it kind of just 
kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and really, I mean, when you once you brought out the control aspect of it, I'm like, yeah. oh, because control is a bottomless pit, basically. Mm. We all want control, right? Yes. We all want to be able to say what we do, when we do it, and how we do it. And then you talk about that's how we don't have control. Yes. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, what does that mean then? Where and what does my life come to if really I'm not in control? Yeah, so that's the half truth, right? The truth is that we all like control. The half truth is that, yeah, you think you're in control, but ultimately, are we actually in control of everything? I mean, even just our recent two accidents. (laughs) The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. (laughs) And then my concussion as well, right? I Mm -hmm. think I'm a pretty introspective person and I wouldn't say that I have control issues. Mm -hmm. However, when my concussion came about and I literally could do nothing, Mm -hmm. like, you know, if I was feeling tired beforehand, I would just push through. I'd be like, well, it's okay. We'll sleep in in two weeks or, you know, just trying to fabricate everything in a way that I can check off on a list because I love to check off lists. And then when I found out I have a concussion and the doctors were actually like, you can't push through, Christina. You need to rest. You need to sleep. You need to get off your phone. You need to not do podcasts and editing and all of that to have all that control literally taken away from me and for me not to be able to even pull it back. My life came to a point where I really had to ask, Christina, where are you basing your life upon? Yeah, you're right. This this lie is so attractive because ultimately it makes us believe that we're God, that that we have no limits, that we're in the driver's seat of our lives and the masters of our own destiny because, hey, you have unlimited earning potential. Just, so just do some more. You want something? Just do a little bit more. But ultimately, we're not. We're not in control. Just think about earthquakes, right? Or hurricanes or stock market crashes or or mass shootings, cancer, airplane delays. I mean, just there, there are so many things about this life that if we just kind of st- take a step back and reflect on it, we're not in control. I mean, no matter how much of a planner you are, it literally is impossible to prepare for every single scenario, possibility, or permutation of life. We're not in control and we're not God, which basically means that we can't actually do everything that we want to do. So if our definition, if our if our self-definition comes from what we do and, and this lie is core to who we are, ultimately we're walking on thin ice, which then means we really only have one of two options. We can either ignore the reality of our limits and and really just keep on trying to convince ourselves and lie to ourselves that we can do everything that we want and that we ultimately are really what we do, or we can just stop believing this lie. Wow, that is powerful. So the next time you are feeling that you really need to be in control, maybe you can take a breath and be like, ah, it's okay, then I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right, let's move on to the second lie that we believe about ourselves from your book. And that lie is you are your past. Uh, what's the half truth behind this lie? Well, it's it, here it is. The past affects how you see the world and approach it. That doesn't seem too bad. Like, after all, isn't the past a part of ourselves? And in some ways, isn't the past the best predictor of our future? Yes, the things that we've done and the things that others have done to us are really, they're all a part of ourselves. But let's give a little bit more color commentary around just how much our past affects us. I'm going to ask you a few questions. All right. What is your favorite experience in life or, or one of your favorite experiences in life? Uh, so far, I would say being married and being a mom. Oh, <laughs> okay. And, for me. <laughs> and I am in control. No, I'm not. <laughs> and what's an accomplishment that you're proud of? I would say that our podcast is being listened to in over 75 different countries. Yeah, that's I mean, crazy. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, what are you ashamed of? I would say, I think how long it's taken me to feel comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. And how about a regret that you have in life? Uh, well, most recently, not writing down more memories in Macarius's yes. book. <laughs> because the girls are like, oh, this is my first word. This is my first word. And he's yeah. like, what's my first word? I'm like, mama. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stick with that. Yeah. And, and lastly, what word do you think best captures the essence of your of social media for you? your social media profiles for our podcast i would say um helpful like helpful information so when i asked you each of those questions it was interesting how much of that had to do with what had been done or your past right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's consider now a few of these questions about things that others have done to you okay so what's a memorable experience that someone did with you in your childhood a memorable one. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind quickly is that I was making these really random dumplings out yeah. of gross dough and celery sticks, like <laughs> celery heads. And then I asked my grandma to fry it, and she did. And then I gave it to my grandpa, and he ate the whole thing. And then I tried some, and it was disgusting. <laughs> Literally disgusting. And he was like, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Mm, that's interesting how that stuck with you. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, um, I mean, we've been to Disney trips and we've been to cruises and all of that, like lots of great experiences in my childhood, but that one really comes to the forefront. Yeah, maybe because of how it expressed your grandfather's love for you. Yeah, and that totally. he would do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Same with my grandma, too, that she was like, you know, cooking a huge meal and still had time to fry these little gross dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's another question. How did others encourage you after you accomplished something? Definitely words of affirmation. So like, yeah, well done. Way to go. And um, and touch like hugs and kisses and high fives. Okay. Okay. And when would others withhold love from you? Hmm. Um, I don't know if like withheld love, like have I ever put that two and two together? But I think like when I failed or I didn't do as well as I thought I should or my parents thought I should, hmm. it was like, oh, like, oh, you could have done better. And I didn't get a hug for that. Yeah. Hmm. So then when growing up, uh, who or, or what were you afraid of? Oh, man, I was afraid of so many things when I was growing up. But the one feeling I really had, well, two things. One was I was deathly afraid of the dark. And two, I was afraid of being left behind, like being forgotten at a store or something like that. Hmm. So then what word would you say best captures the essence of your childhood? 
I would say um, I really worked hard on being better. Like I always wanted to be the best at something and I always wanted to be seen or congratulated for that. Mm. Um, deeper than that, I think it was a longing to be loved. Huh. That's powerful. So Christina, if you just kind of reflect on all of your answers here, do you see the past in your present? Yes, I do. Especially what we were talking about, about the concussion. Yeah. Like, oh, I was wanting to be the best like podcaster mm-hmm. or the best of this or be known for something or be known to be great. And then it all came crumbling down and it was like a midlife crisis, so to speak. Yeah. And even what you were saying earlier about school and how you burnt out and how you didn't really want that empty block mm-hmm. to see how even for you growing up being be, being afraid of being left behind being afraid of being lost or, or lonely missing out yeah. yes do you see how that kind of fed into later on ah. and fed into what happened later on in your life yeah right? that completely. led to that burnout completely yeah and, that. and it all makes sense because the things that we've done and the things that others have done to us affect us They affect us in everyday life, which means that you believe the lie that you are your past. Hmm. Congratulations (laughs) to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Here's why it's dangerous, though. If we see more and more of the past in our present, you know, our past regrets or unresolved hurts, bitterness from relationships, all these things, uh, if we're not careful, what's going to happen is our past is going to start defining our future. And the danger is that believing this lie that you are your past is either going to then disable or destroy your future. Whoa, 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 whoa. Disable? Like destroy future? Really? (laughs) Okay, I'll break it down into two. This lie is going to disable your future if you find yourself always wanting to relive the glory days instead of stepping into and seeing what's next. Oh, I think we've all seen a few of our friends who were living out their high school days continuously. Hashtag TBT, right? (laughs) (laughs) Throwback Thursday. And there's there's a word that describes people like this. It's called peaked, right? You know you've peaked if you find yourself constantly bringing up stories from high school or college when at parties. Or if you're always shamelessly posting pictures of your old self on Throwback Thursdays, or if your high school or college friends are your only friends. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be friends with them, but if they're your only friends and you're not making new friends these days where you're at, then you might be living in the past. Underneath all of this is the behavior, and this is why it's dangerous, the the belief is that your best days are behind you. And because you believe that and you are living in the past, uh, it this lie actually keeps you in the past. Okay, okay. When you put it that way, I can see how that lie would disable us in terms of like moving on, maybe exactly. having uh, more friends or a different future. But how would that destroy us? Well, it'll destroy you because if you're living off of the bitterness and unresolved hurt from the past, and I'm not talking about, you know, people who have that hit list and are scratching people off their will. I mean, if that's you, I'd recommend getting some counseling. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm really more talking about people who, for all intents and purposes, are normal, but they've kind of muted or blocked people on social media because of conflict, or you just refuse to talk 
to those people anymore. Maybe you thought everything was fine and then you bumped into them while getting coffee and, and a flood of emotions. Maybe they posted something or you saw something and and the flood of emotions kind of derailed you for the day. Or or maybe you just find yourself saying things like, I'll show you or or I deserved that. Well, if if that's the case, then the, the past actually has the potential to destroy your future. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. Like, for example, I remember um, our neighbor dug up a tree by accident that our daughter had planted. (laughs) And she um, was really upset and made this sign that said, like, never forgive him. And then how we had to talk about that of being like, actually, um, that bitterness that you're holding against our neighbor, he did it by accident. He didn't do it to be malicious, will actually hurt you more than it will hurt him because he doesn't even know that you're angry at him Mm -hmm. but the bitterness will literally eat you away yeah and that's why this lie that you are your past and and living in the past can be so dangerous so with both of these lies that we believe about ourselves the lie that you are what you do and the lie that you are your past the good news is that that's not it right it's not just about laying those down there's actually truth on the other side. And that's exactly what I reveal and unpack in my book, You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. Now, we mentioned this earlier, but my book is releasing February 4th. (laughs) And if you buy the book before that day, there's actually a pre-release or a pre-order bonus. You can get the book. Yeah, yeah. You can get the book, the print book for 50% off and immediately you will get the ebook. Oh, I love that. So then I don't have to wait. Yeah, it's kind of a two for one. (laughs) It's a two for one. So to learn more about that, just go to daniellim.com slash UR or go to inbetween.org slash episode 82 and you'll find the links for that all there. And just really quickly, that bonus is only if you order before February 4 from the details on my site. So don't wait. Go do it now. (laughs) So next week, what are we going to be talking about? Well, we're going to continue this theme about the lies. And, and today we talked about the lies that we believe about ourselves. But next week, we're going to go on to the lies that we believe about marriage. Oh, dun, dun, dun. And the week after, it's going to be the lies that we believe about parenting. Oh, I think I believe a lot of lies. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. How deep am I in it? <laughs> So thanks again for listening in to this podcast. Make sure to go to inbetween.org slash episode 82 for all the show notes and to connect with us on social media. And be sure to subscribe as well to the podcast if you haven't yet done so, because then you'll get all the episodes right when they release. And, And lastly, if there's someone that came to mind that you know is also believing these lies, maybe it's your spouse or a friend or a family member, just hit the share button on your podcasting app or text them the link inbetween.org slash episode 82 and we'd be honored and uh, we'd be so grateful if you shared this episode as well. All right, well, we'll catch you next week.